0: Welcome to the Addison Street Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to be a community of believers proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through worship, discipleship, and service. Our prayer is that you are transformed by the word of God in the following message. And we trust you are using this podcast as a supplement to your participation in a gospel church near you. Let's now hear what God has for us. Every year I go for an annual physical my doctor asks me, do you text or are are you on your phone when you drive? This almost patronizing question actually shows concern not only for my own safety, but also for the general safety of others while I'm on the road. Part of his responsibility as a healthcare provider is the health of his patient's attention. He's helping me be mindful of my awareness. You know, because if we're preoccupied or distracted while operating moving machinery, we increase, we increase the risk of hurting ourselves and others. I mean, the point is, is that we're all healthier humans when our attention and priorities are rightly ordered and spent. And this is what the New Testament writer Luke does in writing an orderly account of Jesus's life. Luke was a Gentile. Luke was a trained physician. So he had this bent of research and data and and, and getting to know things in an orderly way. So he has researched and written in a way in his first book called The Gospel of Luke to captivate the attention of God's people and any other would-be followers of Jesus. Luke aims to cut through the noise of our souls in the chaos of society, by presenting Jesus as Lord, in whom is hope, transformation, and welcome. Today, I want to be preaching uh, to us out of the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, if you scroll there or turn there to Luke chapter 10, at the very end of that chapter, we'll be considering just the last five verses, Luke 10, 38 to 42. As you're turning there, a little bit of broader context, right before this story uh, that we're looking at today, Jesus had told a parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan, and we all know that. In fact, that phrase, Good Samaritan, has entered into the common parlance of everyday language here. People talk about being a Good Samaritan. Well, the point of the Good Samaritan, according to Jesus, is that outcasts. Are welcome. And then he comes into this section where Jesus is hanging out with some women and going from the parable of the Good Samaritan, where he says and implies that outcasts are in. Luke is also suggesting that through the ministry of Jesus, he also is saying that women are welcome too to be disciples of Jesus. See, Luke validates the disciple identity of women by assuming their normal presence and participation in Jesus's traveling ministry. This was actually very uncommon for Jewish teachers, for Jewish rabbis of the day, to have women as part of your merry band of followers. And Jesus had plenty of them. Now, this story that we see today, this little story off the beaten path of his final journey into Jerusalem, dives deeper into what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And in this story, Jesus isn't, well, Luke isn't trying to pit two disciples against each other. He's not trying to show that, well, one is better than the other. But he is, get this, he is giving us windows into the souls of two disciples whose choices in the presence of Jesus, seemed equally noble. And so it presents us with this question in 2023, that as you follow Jesus Christ, what must you care about or pay attention to the most?
1: Let's read our text. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus
0: entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her then to help me the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken
1: away from her. Let's pray. My dear Heavenly Father, you who are our Heavenly Father, I
0: thank you for the opportunity to stand up here and shed light on your beautiful word. It is good, it is true, it is sufficient. Lord, there is nothing that I could do or say to embellish your word. It is power. It is a diamond. And we ask that at this moment, the moment of the preaching of the word of God in public worship, that your Holy Spirit would pace up and down the aisles and through the rows, illuminating Jesus Christ to us to show us how beautiful and worthy he is. Oh Lord, I pray that you would draw every person here closer to Jesus, not just because of a sermon, but because of this word. Lord, I need you and I cannot preach. I can't say anything without Jesus helping me without him. I can do nothing. Lord liberate me, free me, to preach as you would have me to preach, for your glory in Christ through the church in Jesus' name. Amen. These five verses, I think uh, teach us this: Learning from Jesus outlasts your service to Jesus. You say that again, slow. Learning from Jesus outlasts your service to him. Now, I've entitled the sermon Soul Business, and even though we don't have the word soul in our text per se, we are getting, like I said, windows into the souls of two of the major players in this text. In Martha, we gaze through the window of a chaotic soul, and through Mary, we glimpse a captivated soul, And in looking through these soul windows today, I pray you will know the state of your own soul in relationship to Jesus Christ. There's one thing that none of you, I, cannot escape, is that is how we relate to Jesus Christ. And in this short yet powerful story, there's two windows to look through. The first window we see in verses 38 to 40, what I would call a chaotic soul that we see in the person of Martha. Now, Martha is a positively hospitable, hardworking, and generous woman. I mean, Martha's name was actually very common in that day. It was so common that 6% of the female population in Palestine had that name. But in That name in Martha, we also see in her a fault that is common to every follower of Jesus Christ. So, common name reflecting a common experience. Martha was noble in that she was serving Jesus. You would, I mean, who would fault this lady? But I want to sort of uh, peel back the layers, if you will, of of the onion of Martha's chaotic soul. In verse 40, we see that a chaotic soul is distracted. All right, so Jesus is coming into this village. We know this village to be the village of Bethany from John chapter 11. But that's not important for Luke when he tells his version of the story of Christ's life. Luke sometimes changes the order of things and highlights things. So this is a particular story to Luke's gospel. But it wasn't even important to say where it was. So Jesus enters this village into Bethany, and he had friends. It's like he had friends everywhere. Oh, I got some friends here. I'm gonna stop in and see Martha and Mary, who were also the sisters of a guy named Lazarus, who he resurrected from the dead in John 11. So, Martha, scurrying about, opens the door, Jesus, oh, you're here, cool, back to the kitchen. And then there's this, this, this window into Mary, who is described as sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. We'll get, we'll get back to her. But Martha, according to Luke here, was distracted with much serving. That's a key point right there. Because you would think, like, who? I mean, it's not wrong to serve Jesus. Isn't this a good thing? Yes, indeed it is. But could a good thing actually become distracting to ultimate things? Yes. So in Martha, we see a little bit of the chaos of a soul, very noble, in some ways humble, and somebody we want to emulate. But somebody who is distracted. This is not necessarily a positive description of this dear lady. We also see in verse 41 that a chaotic soul is disturbed. Verse 41, after she makes this uh, plea to the Lord, the Lord answered Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. I want to just isolate those two. Uh, These two words together would mean basically that she's just disturbed. Some, some versions, some of your versions will say that she was worried. That's fine. She's anxious and troubled. The word for trouble right there is where we actually get a, a, a word for our modern-day word for turbulence. That was kind of Martha's soul, turbulence. If you've flown on a plane before, you understand turbulence. And that was the characteristic of this woman. She was anxious. Another word for this anxious word is the word concerned. Now, I think it bears teasing out here that there are legitimate concerns in life and there are so, not so illegitimate concerns. This, this word for anxious pops up all over the New Testament. It pops up in Luke, and I'm gonna tease some of these out, but hang with me here because this all has a point. See, there are good, healthy concerns in life, call them anxieties, okay? Let's just say the word anxiety is a kind of a a positive synonym for being concerned, okay? There's the concern of leadership. I think of the Apostle Paul who used this exact same word uh, to describe his own, um, uh, what he felt as he thought about all the churches that he was sort of looking over. The constant care of the churches. That's the idea here. Was that a bad thing? No, not at all. Paul felt a weight. Paul felt a burden, a right burden to lead churches and inform them and, and disciple them correctly. I also think in the other book of Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there is a long chapter on, on marriage relationships and singleness and married life, and, and Paul, who in itself was single, uh, reflects on the differences of being a concerned spouse being, versus being the concern of A single. And he says this I want you to be free from anxieties because he knew as a single man he was free to serve the Lord. He says this the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. That's not like bad anxiety, he's concerned. How to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. Paul is not saying here that it's wrong to be married and be concerned with the things that go with married life. He's just pointing out a reality that in the commitments, the earthly commitments of marriage versus singleness, there's a lot more that kind of, that, that kind of competes for your attention and your mental resources, and that is the idea here, being anxious a single person is still concerned about, I can spend more time serving Jesus. So those are examples, leadership over the churches, relationships that we're in, of good concerns, good responsibilities. However, there are not so good anxieties, or if I can put it this way, there are those kinds of concerns that are actually legitimate, but they go too far. Don't take my word for it. Take Jesus' word for it. In Luke chapter eight, when he says this, he's telling a parable of the different kinds of people in their reaction to the word of God. And this is the parable of the soils. He says one of the soils is this, that when the seed was, was sown, the seed, and, and it was sown and fell among thorns. And those kind of people who have thorny hearts in regard to the word of God, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares. That's the idea, the same word as we have in Luke. They are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So at best, somebody who lets the cares of life become all-consuming at best are not fruitful or mature Christians. But But he goes on in Luke 21. Jesus says this, but watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. Whoa. You're talking about partying and drinking and the normal cares of life all like being put in the same category by Jesus? Yeah, uh, that's what he says. It is is so, uh, could I say it this way, it is possible to become so inebriated with the concerns and the cares of life, legitimate stuff, that Jesus says, the day comes upon you suddenly like a trap. And all of a sudden, the good that you thought you were doing because you were trying to keep everything in order in life actually backfires on you. I mean, I know this is difficult, folks. Taking care of life can be a soul-gutting trap. Some of you want to hear that. Oh, well, I don't have to, I can relax. I don't have to take care of as many things. Pay less bills, be late to this, don't do this. That's That's not what's being recommended here. But there is a sense when, if you're a moral upstanding person who tries to live life decently and in order and in compliance with the laws of the society and, you know, try to make everything better, that you can actually, that that kind of lifestyle, when you're just churning it out, showing up, you're giving yourself to all the cares of life and they are starting to choke you and you don't even realize it, it can be lethal. Bishop J.C. Ryle said this. I can't say it better. That's why I put it on a slide for you. He says, it isn't open sin or flagrant breaches of God's commandments alone, which lead people to eternal ruin. It is far more frequently excessive attention to things that in themselves are lawful. We may go down to the pit of hell from the very midst of
1: lawful things. Did you get that? He says, you can endanger your soul by being so focused on the things of life, by the cares of life. Jesus and the godly
0: voices of history warn that if you aren't careful, you can lose your own soul by doing religious things, by being responsible on the behalf of other people, and by doing things in order to make the world a better place. How often do we hear that? I bring it up because it sometimes is nauseating to me personally. Uh, but, but, you know, everything is about making the world a better place. And indeed, the instinct is good. In fact, I think it's actually probably driven by a hollow in our heart to yearn for something better. But there is nothing that we could do. In, to, in, to, in this world, to make this world a better place ultimately. And you can give your whole life to making the world a
1: better place and suffocate spiritually. And this little story off the beaten path in little Bethany is here to tell you that. Those are never sustainable. They can never last. The chaotic soul is also demanding. So it's distracted,
0: it's disturbed, but it's also demanding. Look at verse 40 again. She went up to him, that's Jesus, and said, Lord, she's addressing him properly. Don't you care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Okay, fair. Let's just give it to her, fair question. But then comes the demand. Tell her to help me. Oh. I mean, maybe. Okay, let's just give her a little bit of leeway. Maybe, maybe, just maybe. Maybe she thought that it really wasn't a woman's place to be at the feet of a rabbi. It was rare. Maybe she's, like, gaming that. Or maybe it's her conviction. We don't know that. Or, or maybe she was especially sensitive to being an equal opportunity servant. In other words... I want everyone to serve equally, to have their fair share in doing things around the house, that Mary should carry some of the load. Now, this is not entirely unreasonable. The, the, the point of this passage isn't, you know, be like Mary, not like Martha, just be a, be a hero and do everything as much as you can till you're crushed. No. But Martha treats her guest as a convenient means to herself. And friends, sometimes I think we forget who we are and who we're speaking to. And it's a good thing that God is patient and loving and kind. The very things that we say sometimes are the very things that we may not say but think when it comes to serving him in the church, in our homes, wherever it may be. We treat God like, God, I pray to you but I pray that you would change this person. Why? To make my life easier. I am am like number one violator of that. That is our human nature. And she was missing the whole point of serving Jesus. And I ask you, do you use Jesus? as a kind of dial-a-genie, as a means to get things done. I mean, we're all about getting things done. Hey, I read the self-help books, productivity. I'm all about atomic habits. I'm, I'm all there. I like being productive. I want to be productive and more productive. But when it's not, and I can't control it, do I then beckon Jesus like, Now's a good time to to strong-arm some people, Jesus, in my life, who just aren't getting with the program. That's demanding. You catch a little bit of that. You know that when you're familiar and you have friends, sometimes there are these invisible lines. I called it a fault line earlier of becoming way too familiar that crosses over into a kind of irreverence.
1: All said, the chaotic soul is desperate. Martha
0: was desperate. And I want to point this out. I think this is right here in the text. Look at verse 40. Luke describes her just as a narrator. He just says, Martha was distracted with much serving. And that word is actually repeated in English, but it's the same in the original language. Look in verse 41. When Jesus is addressing her,
1: he says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about Many things. She's desperate. She's trying to juggle too much.
0: She's trying to do too much. She thinks that more with Jesus is indeed more. See, friends, people who devote much time and energy to serving Jesus are more prone to miss the one thing all the other many things. That's what Jesus is saying here. He is gentle and correcting her. Martha's spinning the plates. Mary appears to just be sitting on her duff, listening to Jesus. It looks easy, right? It looks easy to be that kind of disciple. I mean, don't we all want to be the kind of disciples that are out and about, busy? Our reputation is for being... Busy for Jesus. I don't think that's the point. And so Jesus is trying to get us to dial back. He's not saying serve less. And he's not, definitely not trying to say that serving me is bad. Uh, I wonder, uh, how, how many of you ever heard the saying that doctors make the worst patients? You ever heard that? Or healthcare professionals make the worst patients? I, there might be some truth in that, but let's tie that to this. Sometimes the most dedicated servants of Christ
1: make for indifferent disciples. And that is an oxymoron. Servant and disciple are the same thing. Jesus
0: isn't saying that Martha's serving is bad. He's definitely not exalting Mary as the paragon. I think there's something of, of her being an epitome. But he's just showing the windows into our souls that to serve Jesus in the life of the church or to serve Jesus is not the same thing as getting to know Jesus. I wanna ask you can, you, can you diagnose yourself right now? Are you distracted are you demanding? Are you disturbed? And at times, are you just desperate? And you may say, like most of us feel, right, that it's just human to worry, right? It is, it's human to worry, but I think Luke, through our Lord Jesus, is upping the ante here, and he's, I think he's just prodding us gently and saying, okay, sure, it might be human, but is it holy? Just because it's normal doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it that you just keep on being a worry body, busy body, worry body. That's just who I am. That's, who, that's my, my family of origin. That's, we, we just, we can't sit still. We just, we worry. If we can't do something, we worry about it. We talk about it. You might laugh at that thought. It may be human to worry, but is it Holy. And I would say, based on scriptures, it is not holy to worry. Oh, but worrying isn't as bad as getting drunk, right? In Luke 12, Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? That whole idea of anxious and worry is the same word we have here in Luke 10. Can you actually add something to your life by demanding and by heaping distractions onto your soul? No, you can't. You are choking your soul. And I ask you, what are you actually running from? What are you trying to escape by getting drunk on innocent things.
1: You can't add anything. You may think you're lessening the pain, but
0: you're not, which is why later the apostle Paul could say in Philippians
1: chapter four, verse six, do not be anxious about anything. What does your soul want to do when you hear that? I want to say, come
0: on, Paul.
1: You're like the second best Christian
0: in all the Bible. You can say those things. You probably didn't worry much. Paul wasn't about whether he, you know, where he ranked. He said, don't be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god the way you combat in a godly way anxiety and worry is through gratitude and prayer i mean we can blow this whole thing out to its own sermon we can drill down on this but how often are you more prone to pray and then to give thanks than you are to complain and to worry Friends, beware of the cares of this world, even the good things. The the passage we're in isn't about evil versus good. The passage we're in is about good versus best. It is not about don't serve Jesus, like throttle your service to Jesus, yo, so you can spend time kind of doing nothing, at least to what some people might see. No. The cares of this life, if you let them, can eat away at your soul, Leaving you distressed and discontent. Is that you? Are you distressed? Do you just have a bubbling discontent? Or is there a joy that's bubbling in you? I'm not saying just happy-go-lucky click your heels. No, no, you can have joy and peace and contentment. All the while, the surface of your soul and the things that you cannot control are spinning out of control. Martha, probably could have let one of the dishes on the the oven burn. She probably could have let a few dust bunnies under the toilet go. She probably could let Jesus step over the kid's toy so he doesn't break his ankle. Yeah, she probably could have. But you know, we don't get a Jesus here that's like, come on, life of the party's here stop what you're doing, pay attention to me. He doesn't do that. What does he do? Jesus is such a friend of anxious, disturbed sinners. He says, Martha, Martha. Now that's, Luke doesn't say that that way because, oh, I need some more ink to make the the cut for the publisher here. I mean, this is the very same kind of thing that Jesus said to Simon when Simon was doubting. Jesus's future, and he said, Simon, Simon, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. Or when Jesus was looking over Jerusalem with pity and sadness and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, it is is an emotional way of appealing to someone. It is tender, it is gentle, and that is our Lord Jesus. Jesus is a friend of ancient sinners and saints. And so, this is why he can say As Matthew recorded, come on to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn. That was the position of Mary. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You wanna combat distraction, desperation, demanding? Come to Jesus again and again and again. There's always something to learn by slowing down and sitting before him. So even though it's for Jesus, busier ain't better. See, Martha's service to Jesus couldn't survive without what Mary found. But Jesus isn't canceling service so now we look in verses 41 to 42. Well, and bouncing really in all five verses, we, we see the contrast in a captivated soul in Mary. And we see Mary, who is just said that it said that she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Mary was captivated with this Jesus guy. He's a friend. You serve your friends, yes. But good friends pay attention to friends. You stop. And the captivated soul is actually a soul, a person that is postured to learn. See, ancient disciples sat at the feet of their rabbis, of their teachers. In Acts chapter 22, Paul, the apostle, his testimony was like, hey, I used to sit at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the best rabbis. That's the idea here. Mary, again, Luke, is uh, he, he's kind of flying over and implying that women have a Women have equal place at the feet of Jesus. And Mary is going with that. Back in Luke chapter 8, Jesus healed a man. Jesus delivered a man with a demon. And after he had been delivered from that demon, it said that he was sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. You want to be in your right mind? Come to the feet of Jesus. Hang out there a while. In other words, it's humble, humble. The captivated soul is postured to learn. It's attentive. I mean, you may have graduated from school a long time ago or looking forward and counting down the days till graduation or till, you know, when when school's out for summer. But with Jesus, you're always in school, always. As long as you're a disciple, if you're a true disciple, you're always following. You're always learning from him the captivated soul, like Mary, is postured to learn. But consider this, though. The captivated soul also runs the risk of being perceived as lazy, dreamy, passive, or just plain old out of touch with reality. So what I want to address that I think is within the the spirit of this text is that there are many kinds of people in the body of Christ. There are some, their first instinct is go do it, take care of it, let's, let's fix this thing. Let's, let's perfect it, refine it, right? Let's build better systems. And then there are other people who are, oh, it's more relational. We can worry about that stuff later. So there are different personalities, but whatever your personality, this is not a, the do not hear that this is some kind of personality uh, test Uh, in in God's word, but there are different personalities in the body of Christ, are there not? For as many people as we have sitting here, we have different personalities, different ways that God wired us in his own image. But for those who are captivated by Jesus and wanna spend time learning of Jesus, you will sometimes be, can I say, misperceived by people as kind of having your head in the skies, maybe not doing much, You can't really pin them down because, you know, it's just always about learning about just Bible talk and it's just not a doer thing. And I have to ask you, I have to ask all of us, are you okay with that? Are you okay with someone perceiving you, misperceiving you, as somebody who's just got their head in the stars because they're so in love with Jesus, because they can't get enough of him, they love his word, they love being with his people. Are you okay with being perceived as perceived maybe as, as lazy or passive because you're not always doing, 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 going, going, going? You need to weigh that. Take a page out of Mary's book. But a captivated soul finally is a soul that chooses what lasts. As Jesus Gently rebukes Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. And we could debate what is that exactly. I'm actually not necessarily going to give any answer. I don't think it's uh, that's not necessarily the point. But let's talk about legacies. Let's talk about reputations. If I say the word, if I say the name Enoch in the Bible, what's his Reputation that could not be taken away, walked with God. If I say the phrase friend of God, who does that describe in the Bible? Abraham. If I say man after God's own heart, who is that? The adulterer King David. See, the captivated soul recognizes that we can never outserve Jesus. And that the real meal, the real master chef, is the Lord Christ himself. There's nothing that you could do, possibly, to perfectly please God. That's not the point, because Jesus has done that already. It's better to be, as one scholar put it, better to be a listening disciple than an immaculate host. You choose what lasts. You say, you know what? I come to church, I hear these sermons, you know, and the Bible preaching is decent, you know, and, you know, I I learned something about God, but is it practical? Like, put some wheels on this car, Will. And that's the thing about pointing people to Jesus. It's just not as simple as here's what it means. Now you have to do one, two, and three. Because I think what we're, if we're going with the Mary model here, it kind of looks like you do nothing. Let me tease that out. How today might you conscientiously be captivated to Christ? In other words, how do you sit at the feet of somebody who uh, died, rose, went back to heaven? What do you do? Well, first, it's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Turn to Him in faith. You actually may be sitting here and you may have not had any kind of relationship with Jesus Christ, but you're curious. You actually have to turn to Jesus Christ in faith. You have to repent of your sins. That means you have, to, you have to turn on yourself. Turn on your way of living, turn on your way of thinking, doing, speaking, and turn to Jesus. Leave it all behind and turn to him. That's what, in, in Luke, that's what he's showing you what disciples do. Disciples turn their back on everything for Jesus. They will even turn their back on their families if it so requires. Choose Jesus over yourself right now. You want to start following Jesus for the first time? Choose him now and every day and every time for the rest of your life. You will need to keep doing that. It's not just a decision. Oh, I believed in Jesus today and I I turned from my sins. No, you will find that this is actually the habit of what disciples do. Mary isn't the more ideal disciple, friends. The hero of this story, just like he is in the Old Testament, is that Jesus is the hero of this story. He is the one at whose feet people sit to learn. He is the only one who gives you what you ultimately need. But you say, well, I am a Christian. I have come to faith in Christ. I'm slugging it out. I'm trying to repent. I'm I'm, I'm persevering in belief. Well, maybe what you need to do, maybe the way you make Sitting at Jesus' feet, uh, visible and, and real, is recognize your proneness to anxiety, to, to anxiousness and distraction. You say, Yeah, you know what, preacher? I think you nailed it for me. I, I need to change. I'm gonna get to it. Okay, good. But can I, can I caution you that there are, you won't conquer anxiety and busyness in a day, there are layers to the sin. That dwells within each of us. The sin of worry, of anxiety. You will not be able to just smash that onion. You'll have to peel it back and be patient with God as He is with you in ridding sin from your life. May I say it this way? Where do I start? I mean, worry and anxiety is so like out there, right? I mean, Think of, this, think of the analogy of unpacking boxes. You have a box that has boxes in it with more boxes. You want to know where to start in returning from your sin and, and confronting something in your life. Think, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? There's your box. Start with that. And as you deal with that, by the grace of God, if you're hungry for this, he will show you more boxes to unpack, to repent of. He is not telling you to take the whole set of boxes out to the back shed and burn them. No, just take the one box in front of you, unpack it, and repent. So repent is the first way we make visible being captive to Christ, sitting at his feet. The second is this. Invest your soul's attention primarily on knowing Jesus Christ himself. The majority of people will not be pastors and missionaries in the traditional vocational sense. This is, this is written by a doctor, folks, all right? So he, he knows, he knows where you live. He, he knows what it's like to live in the real world. And Luke is saying, invest your attention primarily in knowing Jesus Christ himself. I don't think I can put it any better than the classic quote from one of the, the, the sturdiest workers in Christian history, Western Christian history. His name was George Mueller. George Mueller combated the problem of orphanism. He started orphanages in England. Helped many, many, very recognized. You wonder, like, how do you keep going when you're that busy? He said this, listen to this. Don't write this down. We can post it somewhere later. You You can Google it. He said, I saw more clearly than ever that, that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. The first thing to be concerned about was not how much might I serve the Lord, how I might glorify the Lord, but how might my, I get my soul into a happy state and how my inner man may be nourished. I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of the word of God and to meditation on it. What do you do for a living? What pays the bills? Who's, who's in your relational network? Those are all important. God realizes it, and God thinks they're important. But George Mueller could say this because he got it. You don't, do, you don't have that kind of social impact that is noted for his, for ages without you getting in your closet, your quiet place. Getting on your knees and praying and getting in the Word. I'm not legislating something here, folks. I'm not reinventing any kind of wheel. George Mueller. (laughs) You imagine all those voices of kids in the orphanage, ready to bust the place down. And where is he at early in the morning, before he attends to any orphan? He's there with God. That's the secret. That's the priority. So I wanna encourage you to block out time. You say, I don't even know where to start because I'm so distracted. Block out time uh, for God. You might even need to do some like renovation work first. (laughs) But I mean like block out time just to find out like, okay, where is my life in shambles? Where is it distracted? Where am I demanding? Where am I disturbed? Block out time just to think about that. And then write down those distractions and worries. Just start writing a list, unpack the box, okay? And then pray about them. Right there, take that list, back of the napkin, your bullet journal, whatever it may be. Write it down, and then pray over them. And pray something like this: Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. Though I don't really feel it all the time, Lord, I understand. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. My heart, He is mine forever. You say. Ah. I don't feel that way most of the time. That's okay. That's why these words exist. Take your worries, take your distractions, and pray that to God and see what happens. Block out distractions. The Apostle Paul, when he was applying the gospel in the book of Ephesians, he said, this is not the way that you learned Christ. There's a way to learn Christ. And you you want a really good example? Jesus was the busiest man of his time. He did all kinds of things, right? But there were times that his disciples could not find him. He was available to no one. Why? Because he needed to get alone and be with his father. Now I ask, if Jesus, the son of God, the savior of the world, needed to block time to take care of his soul's relationship with the father, shouldn't you?
1: Should not this passage revolutionize the way we walk out of here?
0: One last thing, recommendation-wise, to be consciously captivated to Christ, you must submit yourself to learn with and among models of devotion and service. I'm not talking about making a list of podcasts and get the all the right books. Some of that might be good. But figure out where the models of devotion and service are at today. Who has carried out the spirit of Mary? And I would say that is the church. The church is that primary learning community, followed by being a doing community. We be careful about churches or any organization that is about tackle this problem and that problem and that ill, and, and that becomes the focus that will soon become misfocused and misguided and you will lose the gospel entirely. Go and be in the churches and the places where Jesus is the primary focus, where there are other people who are slugging it out and being models of devotion and service who you can see are sitting at the feet of Jesus. This is what Paul said in Philippians 4, 9 through 11. In this kind of learning community, you can learn contentment. He said, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things. Hang on. And the God of peace will be with you. He said, "I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length, you have, been, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I speak of being in need, for I have learned. Learn, 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 that in whatever situation I am, to be content. You need living in flesh models of people who are learning to be content. And you know where you find that, folks? In learning communities of Jesus followers. And you know what that's called? It's called the ecclesia, the church. You want models of how to be fruitful? Paul said to Titus, and let our people learn to devote. There's that word again. Learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. You want to learn how to become fruitful. Be in the church.
1: Be in the church. How's the state of your soul?
0: See, learning from the Lord Jesus will outlast anything that you can do to serve him and others. You will burn out if all you're bent on is serving, 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 Jesus, doing, 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 you will burn out. You may lose it. When you come to the end of your life, you'll never regret spending time getting to know Jesus. It's just like you hear uh, the, the similar adage where, where a parent, you know, you'll never get to the ending of your life wishing that you had worked more hours. But you will get to the end of life wishing you had spent more time with your children. Now, from lesser to greater, take that and say, I'm gonna make it my life's ambition to get to know Jesus Christ. You do it at his word, with his people.
1: Indeed, this is your service that can never be taken away. One thing I love about being in an old church is
0: that there's old hymns. There's a song that the church used to sing called More About Jesus. Uh, The more and more, okay, listen to this. More about Jesus would I know. More of his grace to others show. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. More about Jesus let me learn. More of his holy will discern. Spirit of God my teacher be. Showing the things of Christ to me. More about Jesus in his word. Holy, holding communion with my Lord. Hearing his voice in every line. Making each faithful saying mine. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness, see. More of his saving love to me. That's
1: what you want more of. That can never be taken away. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would apply your word to our hearts.
0: We pray that even for now, as we come to this table, that we would be captivated by Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Addison Street Community Church Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by God's word. And for more info, for joining us for a worship service, for taking your next steps with us, please visit... ASCCChicago.org.